0: finally wrapping up our journey through the gospel of Luke. And we actually, I was looking back, we started in March of last year. So we spent quite a bit of time in Luke. And I'm going to invite you guys to stand with me since we're just at the end here. I thought we'd, I'd read the whole passage. And then um, I'll have you join me in the reading of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. And so it says this, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling he said to them Have you anything to eat They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them Then he said to them These are my words these are my words that I have spoken that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the psalms must be fulfilled Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of, the fa- of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And let's read together from the start of Hebrews. It says this in verse 1. Would you read with me? Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we just ask that you would speak to us. We just uh, we thank you for what we read from from Luke. Jesus, you opened the minds of your disciples to understand the scriptures. And Lord, we just as we come humbly before you this morning, we recognize, God, unless you open our minds, we won't understand. And so, Lord, we ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better, Jesus, that we might understand your purposes, your plans, your gospel. Would you reveal yourself to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. All right. Okay, well, this is, yeah, the final passage in this teaching series through Luke and... Um, Luke ends with three accounts that tell us, three accounts of people's encounters with Jesus that are all about telling us and revealing to us, demonstrating uh, the fact that Jesus is alive. Of course, there was the the women who went to the tomb on the morning that Jesus was raised from the dead. There were the two men walking along the road to Emmaus that had an encounter with Jesus. And there's this passage this morning where Jesus appears uh, to the 11 disciples, to reveal to them that he is alive. Now that sounds like maybe, I, I don't know what you think of that, but do you know this, that Jesus is alive? Jesus is alive. You know, I think about during his ministry, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and Lazarus eventually died. Jesus raised uh, the the daughter of the man, Jairus, from the dead, and she eventually died. Jesus raised the the son of a widow from the town of Nain, uh, raised him from the dead and eventually he died. But when Jesus was raised to life, he was raised never to die again. And this is so important because this is what makes the gospel true. And it's it's the key uh, to life with God to understand this, that Jesus is alive. He's alive and we can have relationship with him. You know, I was thinking about this. You can't, you can't convince people that know Jesus and have a relationship with him that he's dead. you just never convince me that Jesus is dead. I'm sorry. I know because we, we know him. We know Jesus. We experience his presence. We talk to him. His spirit lives in us and, and leads us. We know the reality uh, and the blessing of his grace. We know what it is to read the word of God and have him reveal himself to us. We gather in his name and he's here with us. Jesus is alive. And if you don't know that, well, then you can take comfort in this. There was a time when his own disciples didn't know that. And there was a time that his own disciples didn't believe that he was alive. The disciples had spent three years with Jesus. They'd had daily relationship with him. They knew him. They saw his miracles. They heard his teaching. They knew Jesus better than anyone. And so when he was crucified, they were bewildered. They were devastated. In fact, I would say they were bewildered and devastated beyond anyone else that he was gone. But on the first day of the week, after his crucifixion, early at dawn, some of the women that went to the tomb, taking spices with them that they had Uh, prepared, found that the stone was rolled away and they were met by uh, two men in dazzling apparel. It's quite the description. There's not very many men that get that description. In dazzling apparel, they were actually angels and they asked, one of them asked those ladies, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you that he must suffer and die and then be raised to life on the third day? Later that day, While two of his followers were walking along the road to Emmaus, he drew near to them and walked with them and talked with them. And they didn't recognize him. But when they arrived and they sat down together at table, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And they they saw his nail-scarred hands. They saw his hands and their eyes were opened and they recognized that this was Jesus. And he vanished from their sight. And they said amongst themselves, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose from table and they they rushed off to Jerusalem and returned there and they found the disciples that were gathered and they told them what had happened and they told them that Jesus was alive. You see, the disciples had spent the better part of every day for three years with Jesus. And when he was crucified, they didn't understand that the cross was more than just another normal Roman execution. It was so much more than normal, wasn't it? They had yet to comprehend that. They had yet to comprehend that the greatest transaction in the history of the universe, in the history of the world, the greatest transaction in all of history past and all of the future to come had taken place on that cross. It wasn't a normal death. It wasn't a normal execution, and it didn't involve a normal man. Jesus had offered his sinless life to the Father to redeem men and women everywhere from sin's power and consequence. Jesus had borne the wrath of God in his body on that tree. The disciples didn't know that on the cross, Jesus was taking the keys of sin and death. They just thought he was gone. And now the rumors are swirling. That's where we're at in Luke 24. You know, Mary Magdalene had seen him. Even Peter had encountered him. The two men on the road to Emmaus. The disciples had learned many things. And now they were wondering what was going on. And, And they had had those three years watching Jesus, learning from Jesus. He had poured his life into them but there was another lesson that they needed to learn at this point in time, and it was this. They needed to learn it, we need to learn it, and the lesson is this, that Jesus is just as near and just as real when you can't see him or touch him as when you can. You know that? Jesus is just as real and near when you can't see him or touch him as when you can. They had seen him, they had known his touch for three years, And then he was gone, so they thought. Now they needed to know whether they could see him or not. It did not change the reality of his presence, the presence of the risen Lord. You know, this is why he kept appearing and disappearing. Luke tells us about only actually about the very day that Jesus was raised from the dead, but this pattern would continue for 40 days with the disciples and the followers of Jesus. He would appear and he would disappear. And his disciples needed to learn that he was present with them, whether they could see him or not. So you don't need to see Jesus to know that he's here. Amen? In fact, he has promised, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. In Matthew's record of the Great Commission, Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations and behold I am with you always, even unto the very end of the age. The promise of his presence can only be realized because Jesus is alive. And the disciples needed to learn this. And they needed to know it by experience. So even uh, on the day that Christ was raised, there they were together hiding out. They had heard the report of the two men who had come from Emmaus They had heard the report of Peter. They had heard the stories of the women at the tomb. And they were talking about these things. And we read again in verse 36. Let's check it out. And they were talking about these things. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace to you. Peace. Shalom. This is a peace that's much greater than Just that present moment. This was the peace the angels declared at his birth. At his birth, the angels praised God and they said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. This is a peace that the scripture says surpasses our understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the announcement that Jesus had made peace between God and men. This wasn't just a warm greeting. And it was a warm greeting. But it was an announcement. It was a declaration that things were right. That things were right between men and God. The reality that Jesus was alive had yet to enter their hearts. So in spite of the announcement, Luke tells us they were afraid. Check it out, verse 37. But they were startled and frightened and they thought they saw a spirit And he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. I mean, this is crazy, right? These guys thought they were seeing a spirit, a ghost, and he had to show them his body You know, I was thinking about that. You know, some people don't know that Jesus is alive, but amazingly, the New Testament tells us the church is his body, that we're his body. The church is proof that Christ is alive. The church is proof that individually and corporately together in Christ, we have found life and he is alive. He saved us from sin and death. And he had to show them his body, He said, look with your eyes, touch me and see. You know, the disciples knew the spiritual qualities of Jesus. They had heard Jesus speak about his spiritual qualities uh, for those three years. They'd been taught the I am statements of Jesus, you know, that John records in his gospel. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. They knew Jesus claimed to be the bread of life, that he was, the, he was claiming to be the source of true food and true nourishment. They knew that he claimed to be the source of living water who could satisfy the deepest thirst of the human heart and soul. They knew that he had said, before Abraham was, I am. They knew that, He had claimed, I and the Father are one, and whoever believes in the name of the Son of God will have abundant and eternal life. Peter had even confessed that he believed these things, that he believed Jesus was the Christ, the Lord. They knew the spiritual qualities of Jesus, but after he was raised from the dead, Jesus directed their attention to his physical body, to his physical qualities, to his hands, to his feet because the physical was proof that the spiritual was true. His physical body was the receipt that guaranteed the spiritual realities were true, that the realities of the cross were true, that what he had accomplished by his death and resurrection was true. They needed to touch him and to see. It was more than just proof that he was alive, it was proof that Jesus had made atonement on the cross. Touch me and see. This is the nature of salvation. It's not just a spiritual reality. I love this about the gospel. When Jesus saves you, he saves all of you. It's a comprehensive work. The redemption of your body is part of God's salvation plan. Salvation involves the physical... Material realm as well as the spiritual. The body and the soul. The body and the soul. And the resurrection is the pattern for us. It's the example to us that we're not going to spend eternity in some spiritual existence floating around like a ghost without a body. Jesus is preparing a place for us. There will be a resurrection. And he said to them, touch me and see And then he got down to something important that we all like. He says, is there anything to eat here? (laughs) What's for supper? Check it out, verse 41. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. You know, I I like that Jesus didn't say I'm hungry. He's in a glorified body. I don't think he was hungry. He was hungry, but he was looking for something to snack on, you know, some potato chips, fresh fruit, maybe some of Bartholomew's mom's cookies, something like that. And he asked for something to eat and they gave him some fish and he took it and he ate it in front of them and it convinced them that Jesus is alive. So now the disciples... We're persuaded that Jesus truly actually was alive. It wasn't just a rumor. He wasn't just a disembodied spirit. He was alive in his resurrected body. They saw the nail scars in his hands and feet. They touched him. They witnessed him eat food. They shared a meal with him, and they were convinced, and I'll bet he had some fun with them. You know, guys, this fish is a little overcooked tonight. I'm glad that we're having fish, and it's not chicken. That's a running joke in our family. Jesus was alive. And now that was clear and it was unmistakable that he was alive and every obstruction was removed. And now the question for the disciples was this. Well, then why the cross? What for? Why the cross? Why was it necessary? What was going on? What happened that he died such a horrible death and now he's alive? So he taught them. He taught them that night. It was necessary that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and going forward, it's necessary that this message be preached to all nations, he told them. That there's repentance, that repentance for sin must happen and there's forgiveness available in Christ Jesus and it needs to be proclaimed to all nations starting in Jerusalem. You know what's interesting to teach these things? Jesus didn't use a parable. I mean, his ministry before his death was uh, focused on teaching the crowds with parables. He He had used, as we've been going through Luke's gospel, we had seen this, that he used parables to disguise the truth. So as to separate those who wanted to hear and those who wanted to see from those who didn't want to hear and those who didn't want to see. Those who wanted to see and hear would understand and those who didn't would say, wow, that was a great story. And when Jesus taught the disciples about his death and his resurrection once he was raised from the dead, he didn't speak in parables. He turned them to the word of God. Look at verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Remember those two disciples that Blake walked us through that story last week? The two disciples on the road to Emmaus? They get to have a Bible study with Jesus that we're just all waiting to have happen, you know. Jesus walked along the road with them. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted the scriptures to them and he revealed to them how these things spoke of himself. Well, once again here, Jesus gives a lesson, a Bible study, and this time for the disciples, and he did so from the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That's what Luke tells us. That's the whole of the Old Testament. All three major divisions of the Old Testament. There's the Torah, the first five books, the books of Moses. We call them the Pentateuch, the writings of Moses. Uh, There is the Nevi'im which is the writings of the prophets, and there's the Ketevim, which is the history books, the wisdom books, the poetry, the Psalms, and together the Torah, uh, the Neveim, and the Ketevim is called the Tanakh, which we call the Old Testament. The Old Testament, from the entire Old Testament, he walked them through and he revealed himself to them. I was thinking about this, I was recalling a story, you know, over the years, uh, a few times here at the church, we've done the Bible in 90 days. How many of you have participated in the Bible in 90s? It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a whirlwind, you know. Read the Bible at least an hour every day uh, to get through it, cover to cover in 90 days, Genesis to Revela- Revelation. It's been really fun. My personal pattern in my life and my own Bible reading is this, is that I read my Bible cover to cover every year. That's kind of... My plan, because when I was in Bible college, there was a a prof that I really loved and really respected and loved his teaching. And he said, I believe a pastor should read through the Bible cover to cover every year. And so, boy, he just planted that seed in my heart. And uh, I took it to heart, and I've done that ever since. And years ago, I was talking to another pastor about the Bible in 90 days, and I was talking about my own reading habits and we were discussing these things and he criticized both. And uh, he said, that's way too much time given to the Old Testament. That's what he told me. He said, you should read the New Testament twice, at least for every once through the Old Testament. But I, but I have to say this, I don't think that was the attitude of Jesus towards the Old Testament. Disciples, when they met the resurrected Jesus, did you know there were more than 40 years away from all of the New Testament letters being written and collected and organized? Most of them, except for John, never lived, actually all of them except for John, never lived long enough to see it come all together. So when Jesus needed to teach the disciples about the suffering that the Christ would endure, and the reality of the resurrection, he turned their attention to the Old Testament. That's amazing. Jesus taught that the Old Testament is the word of God, that every book was about him. In fact, he as he taught them, they discovered this. And you'll discover this too in your own life if you'll take this principle and apply it, that Jesus is the key that unlocks every Old Testament book. You know, it's interesting, there can be this attitude that somehow, you know, the Old Testament doesn't matter or that faith from, faith in New Testament faith can be unhitched from the Old Testament. That's being proclaimed by one of the pastors in America that I think pastors the second largest church in all of America. And I have to say he's a liar, actually. It's a subtle attack on the person of Jesus and on the the message of the gospel. Maybe not so subtle. Subtle maybe not so subtle. Jesus took the disciples to the writings of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms to explain his death, his suffering, and his resurrection. And I would say this, without the Old Testament, you can't understand why Christ had to die. Without the Old Testament, You can't understand the problem of sin and the nature of man. Without the Old Testament, you won't understand that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Without the Old Testament, you wouldn't know that God foretold the suffering and the resurrection of Jesus before he ever came. Jesus opened up these scriptures to his disciples and he taught them, these are about me. He taught them that the Bible was full of prophecies and they had to be fulfilled. And those prophecies demonstrated that the cross was not an accident. The cross was not a human tragedy. The cross was not just another Roman execution. It was the victory of God and it was planned. The suffering and the resurrection of Jesus were foretold. The Bible is a book of prophecy and Jesus is the key that unlocks it. And the disciples, they thought this. I mean, before that Bible study, they thought the cross was the end. The cross was not the end. It was the beginning of something greater than they ever could have imagined. It was redemption for mankind, it was salvation. It was an act of sacrificial atonement for the sin of mankind, and it was foretold. And Jesus fulfilled the word of God. He suffered, He conquered death and the grave. And he is alive. And if you want to know Jesus, you have to spend time in the word of God. And his word tells us that he's gonna do many more things in the future yet. The whole point of reading our Bibles, studying our Bibles, teaching the Bible is to know Jesus better. You know, the disciples, when they first heard about the resurrection, they didn't believe. They had to be convinced Then they believed. After they were convinced, they believed and they put their faith in Christ Jesus. You know, people have to be convinced. They have to be convinced of the gospel, convinced of the resurrection. But here's the thing about that. No one can be argued into the kingdom. You can't argue someone into the kingdom. I can't argue you into the kingdom. I can't convince you who Jesus is The best I can do is announce him and point to him, but I won't convince you and no one can argue you into the kingdom. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he's the one who convinces people. He's the one who convinces people that, that Jesus is the Christ. He is the one that convinces because the word of God says this, that no one will come to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. And if you don't know Jesus, even standing here this morning declaring these things, I won't be able to convince you. But I'll tell you what, if you will call out to the Lord, if you'll go home and find a place where you could be on your own and maybe get down on your knees and speak to God and say to him, if Jesus Christ is real and claims who he, is, is who he claims to be, I, I humbly ask you, Lord, would you convince me? And just see what happens. You just wait and see what happens. Jesus opened the understanding of the disciples to the scripture and he does the same for us. It's the only reason we know him because the spirit has drawn us. It was Jesus that convinced the disciples that he was alive and then he showed them from the scripture that his suffering and his resurrection was foretold. Those disciples had to be convinced but once they were convinced... Once they were convinced nothing this world could offer and nothing this world could threaten could shake them from that truth. Not even death, not even the threat of death. And we know most of them died as martyrs for their faith in Christ Jesus. This is actually one of the pieces of evidence that should be considered for those who question the resurrection. Because the disciples questioned it too. They didn't believe at first that Christ had risen from the dead. They had to be convinced, but once they were convinced, nothing shook them from that reality. Jesus told them that his suffering and his resurrection was to be preached to all nations, that men everywhere were to be called to repentance of sin and forgiveness in his name. And the message of repentance and forgiveness was to be preached to all nations. That's That's an enormous task, isn't it? Think about just 11 men there that night. That is an enormous task, but Jesus didn't leave them them hanging and say, good luck with that. Hope that goes okay. He promised his disciples strength, help, a power that would uphold them and motivate them in this task. Look at verse 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I love this, that Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, witnessing is not something we do for the Lord. Witnessing is something that he does through us when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I love that. To me, that's a freeing thing. It's like, don't you find witnessing hard? It's a challenge. It's scary. A witness is someone that just tells people what they have seen and what they have heard. That's what we do. We just tell people what we've seen and what we've heard. We are witnesses and we leave the convincing to the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit do the convincing. I I just want to, you know, I was praying this morning that we would just as a church be freed from the pressure of having to convince people. That, what the Holy, that we would just leave that in the hands of the Holy Spirit and we would just witness. We would just share what we have seen and heard. And Jesus promised his disciples that he would give them the promise of the Father. He said this, go and wait in the city and you will be clothed with power from on high. And he provided that power as we know in the book of Acts. It's recounted for us on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came upon the church and they were clothed with power and they were empowered to preach Christ. They were empowered to be witnesses of the gospel. And after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit continued. You go throughout the, the book of uh, Acts and we see that he continued to clothe the church with power. And the Holy Spirit today continues to clothe the church with power because of the task of convincing Men and women, is too great for us. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us. And in the power of the Spirit, in reliance on the Spirit, we declare Christ crucified. Jesus suffered, he died, he rose, and when we repent of sin, he forgives. And when we place our faith in him, he gives us life abundant and eternal. We proclaim to all who will listen, be reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, being a witness is a scary thing, but we've been given not just the Spirit. We also read in the New Testament that we've been given a gospel message that itself is powerful. Romans 1.16, it's going to be on the screen. Paul said this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation for all who would believe. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The gospel is the power of God. When we witness, God's power manifests. And so witnessing can be scary. But we've got two powers that have been given to us. The power of the gospel, which is the power of God. And the power of the Holy Spirit. And witnessing is not something that we have to do for the Lord. Rather, as Warren Wiersbe said, it's something he does through us by his Spirit. So church, let's offer ourselves to the Lord. Lord, I desire to be a witness. See what he does. We can't convince anyone. And besides, that's not our job. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the convincing and the Holy Spirit is the power that convinces people, and the gospel is the message of God's power to save. And so, as this encounter with the risen Lord went on for the disciples, Luke, Luke just takes us uh, to the end of what happened forty days later. He tells us that Jesus led the disciples to Bethany. Bethany, you remember, was the home of where the home of Lazarus and. Mary and Martha was. It's just over the, the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. So verse 50 says this, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. It's kind of a cool thought to Think about Luke's gospel and how it's structured because Luke's gospel begins with Zechariah in the temple praising God (laughs) and God blessed him. And it closes with Jesus blessing his disciples and them going to the temple and continually blessing God. What a a picture. Jesus raising his hands and blessing the disciples. I, I just imagine the sunlight shining through the holes in his hands. As he spoke blessing over them, as if he hadn't done enough already, those scars. And he, he blessed them. He, he made a way for individuals to have peace with the Father. He, he blessed them. You know, it's like amazing because 40 days earlier, they didn't even believe he was alive. And in a few short years, these men would turn the world upside down. With the message of the gospel, And when he blessed them, Luke tells us that they worshipped him. You know, worship belongs to God alone. But they knew Jesus is Lord and they worshipped him because, listen, this is important, they worshipped him because they had been blessed. That's that's very important that we understand the right motivation for worship. There's, There's this notion, it seems, in these days that when the church gathers, we worship to get a blessing. But the biblical pattern is not that. We don't worship to get a blessing. We worship because Jesus has blessed us and he is worthy of his worship. Don't worship to try and get a blessing. Worship him because you are blessed and because he is worthy of your worship. He's your king and your savior. And so this passage today began with The disciples in great fear, and it closes with them having great joy. The difference between great fear and great joy is this, knowing that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He alone suffered for our sin. Jesus alone died in our place. Jesus alone conquered the grave. Jesus alone ascended into heaven. Jesus alone has sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And Jesus alone sustains all things by the power of his word. He's worthy of his praise. And his church should worship him. This morning, I want to just leave you with a few applications. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And we're going to take, partake in communion together, let me leave you with a a few applications. First one's this, be a witness. But in saying that, let me just take the pressure off once again. The disciples had to be convinced, just like you had to be convinced. And this is a work of the spirit. Just be a witness. Just declare what you have seen and what you have heard and leave the rest in the hands of the spirit. He'll do the convincing. Be a bold witness. The second thing is this. The Bible can be trusted from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus is the key that unlocks the Old Testament. Be a man or woman of the word of God. Spend your time there. Eat there. Feast on the word and learn who Christ is. Thirdly, worship for the right reason, church. We worship because we are blessed. Amen? I invite you to stand with me. And uh, we're going to come to the Lord's table this morning.